Hello and welcome to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, your authentic global voice for the pre-sales and buyer enablement world. And we have some fun along the way too. So thanks for joining us and don't forget to find out our top tips on today's topic at the end. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod and we're back for 2023 with our first episode. So joined by myself, Adam Freeman, we've got Don Carmichael. Hi Don. Hello. Hello. And we've got Mark Green with us. So hello, welcome. everybody. Great. And we're missing one of our peas in the pod. So we are we are missing Tom Edwards. But we just want to say a big congratulations because he got engaged recently. Ooh. So a big congratulations from all of us to Tom. What we want to talk about today is something that's not strictly thought leadership. It's not strictly ethereal content. I would say it's a little bit more practical. And in a world where all of our buyers. Um, spending is going to be more scrutinized than ever. Qualification matters. And we want to go back to basics and just throw around the topic of qualification, why it matters, and what it means for us in pre-sales. So, Don, if I can come to you in a second, I'm just going to ask you a question here to open the open the conversation. What is qualification and what does it mean for pre-sales? Ah, right. Okay. So most people will come across the word qualification as something salespeople do. Okay, and um, and actually, it's multiple uses because if you look at most sales processes, so you know, if you whether you've got HubSpot or um, Salesforce, something like that, um, it's always kind of visualized as like a chevron thing, and you move in from left to right. Some cultures you move the other direction, but mostly left to right. What actually happens at each of those stages is it's supposed to be the deal, the opportunity is supposed to be requalified by the salesperson. Um, but there's also an interpretation of, of qualification from marketing. So most marketing teams have this thing called an MQL, a marketing qualified lead. And it could be that someone, um, you know, registered for a demo. Um, it could be that it's something that the, uh, your business developers have, um, you know, something that they've qualified. We are reusing the word. Um, so that, and then that could turn into something called a sales qualified lead, which is someone has checked with the client and yes, the, there's a real opportunity there. Um, but what's supposed to happen, most sales methodologies, you qualify every single stage. And I suppose what you're really trying to do with qualification is, is there still some business to be won and can we can we win it? You might ask more questions of yourself as in, you know, can we uniquely got something we can create value and compete against a competitor, but that's what you're asking at eight stages as you go along. It really is. And I think it's fascinating that we talk so frequently about the method by which we can qualify our, uh, qualify these buyers and these opportunities. And Less often do we have a really clear understanding of how qualified it is. I was talking to a very interesting person recently that qualified their deals into four buckets. The ones where, because they've got such a good understanding of what it is that they provide, and they managed to do enough of a discovery for that tender, they knew that if they put their best foot forward, they were going to win. They know their competitors very well, and they're going to win. Next one was that they they might win if they do a good enough job, but it's going to be tough. Third one, it's unlikely that they win, but there's enough in there that um, given a good enough head headwind, and if their competitors don't do as well in that process, then they could win. And the other one is they know that they're not going to win, and any effort put into those deals is money straight down down the drain. And because they were very rigorous in that early process, not on just did they qualify, but how qualified was it, 
They then kept doing that as the deal went through. There's much better understanding. I think it's worth highlighting here, just so just to fill in any gaps for anyone who's either newer to the profession or has never, you know, has managed to have a long career and never kind of covered it. A oh, good idea. Um, the couple of main methods of qualification. So normally in a in a SaaS business or a software business, you'll be dealing with medic or band. So Don, if I come to you on band and I'm going to give medic to you, Mark, or we could do it vice versa. Who wants to take BANT then and just explain what BANT is and all the criteria? Go on then, Don. Yep, I'll, I'll have a go there. So BANT is, is it may even be as old as me. <laughs> Nothing's as old as you. Uh, <laughs> it may even be as old. It's certainly decades and decades old. It's probably the the original uh, kind of qualification tool. So it's, it's an acronym. It's an abbreviation. And it stands for B for budget. You know, do they have the money? A is stands for authority. As I'm, am I talking to someone who can actually make a decision? Uh, N stands for need. Does this company actually have a need for our uh, product? And T always starts for uh, stands for timing, as in why would you buy now? Now, um, back in the day, you, you could prioritize these things, B-A-N-T. And it's most people seem to agree that the most important one was always T, as in why would you buy now, timing. And then the second one would be, is there a, a need? Um, now, as you zoom forward into the age of uh, SaaS, you can kind of reevaluate BANT because we'll talk about the fact that there are variations on that and developments, which is, you know, places like uh, Medic, Scotsman, Neat, all, there's all kinds of uh, sales methodologies and acronyms, but they all start with BANT. But if you kind of, you know, in our age, in the SaaS and the consumption world age, you, you might say, well, budget, well, that's a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? Because if you're playing a subscription or it's a consumption thing, it's not like you're having to pay for a giant, you know, multi-million pound license up front. I mean, you might have to pay for services uh, up front, but it's kind of like a different kind of question. Uh, so that, that's a budget. And then the authority would be, you know, you're kind of testing yourself that in a lot of cases these days, you might start with a conversation with someone who's at an operational level because they've been, it's been delegated down the business to go and investigate, go and have a look at this technology. So what you're probably interested in authority is starting to test whether they're, they're, they're going to be a champion for you, which is kind of give them tasks like, you know, initiating conversations higher up the business. Um, you know, so what kind of relationship or can I see a way of navigating my way up or, you know, clever people do conversations in parallel. So BANT is, you know, at simplest level, budget is their money, authority as someone can actually sign this off. Is there a need and is there time? And, and you know, would, why are they going to buy something now? Yeah. So I'll go over medic then. So medic brings in those six, six letters. First one is metrics. So what is the economic impact of the solution? Economic buyer, who has the profit and loss responsibility for this? Um, whose budget is it, I guess? Um, the decision criteria, so what are their technical vendor and financial criteria? The next D, so M-E-D-D, uh, decision process. Then what happens? Define the validation and approval. So who is going to be making those decisions? What are the steps that we're going to have to go through? Need to ident identify the pain. So I identify pain. What are their primary business objectives? And the last one, and I know that Adam is thinking of the seventh letter in the six-letter acronym, so you can come on to the your extra C in a minute. Champion, uh, who will sell on behalf of the company? Now, before Adam lets you into the secret, uh, but not very secret, seventh letter C in there, for Medic, these are things that buyers know as well. 
So if I was a buyer trying to get through the SDR team, through to the sales team, through to pre-sales, I would write down medic and I would just write down some simple answers to what I would want them to be. And then when the uh, salesperson, whatever they, whoever they were, came to me and was trying to naturally and casually tease out these are these aspects i just go in bam 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 here's some answers that i know you need um just to get through the process because i want to see a demo but adam there's a little bit more to it isn't there well i think so actually i think SaaS software really changed this so if you go back to the days um some of us were old enough to have sold initial type software where it was a big purchase you know several hundreds if not you know millions of pounds of software i think all three of us it's a big outlay a lot it's a lot it's a lot of cash for a customer right to, to find and therefore the budget became a big thing because i've got a budget there's a big capital project it's a big transformational project actually the move to SaaS made it this is my accountant head here but made it a little bit more operational right it was incremental and yeah you might have to find 10 20 30 thousand pounds a month but you're not finding half a million a million pounds of cash so the decision to invest actually budget became a little bit more tied to roi in the short term because if i give you ten thousand pounds a month but you're going to give me fifteen thousand pounds a month saving you know what i'll go and find that ten thousand there'll be a way of doing it because I'm, I'm in a net positive cash position right so SaaS software changed i think how we qualify because the need to potentially have a budget removed i mean i've in my head sometimes i think rant over bant is there a return on investment you know rather than the budget because if you change the b to an r you would maybe qualify in deals that you would otherwise qualify on that's something that i've always considered but i've always extended the bant with a c and medic with a c are they looking at the competition because if you're if your prospect or your suspect as they may be because they might not be properly qualified if the suspect prospect is looking at your biggest competitors you need to be in that fight right and you could almost use that as a lever for why you should be qualifying in because if they're going to go with somebody just because you can't see the opportunity there because let's not forget right the purpose of qualification is to answer yourself a fundamental question is there a deal to be won not by you not what you're going to show them not what am I going to demo? Don't get ahead of yourself and think three stages along. Is there anything right now that anybody could win? The second question is, is it us that should be winning it? Different question. Is there an opportunity to go and win? And if you can answer that, however you answer it, that's qualification, right? That's, is there something to be won? Don. I was going to say, some, some of our listeners might be shouting at us and <laughs> shouting at their headphones and going, hold on a minute, we, we've got med we've got a variation of it. We use MedPick and MedPick with multiple so multiple Cs, which could be, you know, like a yeah. competition. It's a classic one why you would have two Cs in there, champion and competition. Um, P, some people have like paper trail, as in do we understand how the decision, you know, who's got to sign things off? You know, most decisions have to kind of you know be um people have budget responsibilities and have to be kind of escalated above and as workflows and things so how does it and for the buyer's perspective how does that kind of paper flow so there's there's different variations of that um just to kind of add things i think most people would hopefully be aware of medic or it's easy thing to research there is there is interestingly a kind of even more modern one which i think is called neat which is where tr uh, someone's tried to simplify
simplify it all back down again. I think this need to try and get down to kind of four letter acronyms. <laughs> uh, so NEAT is needs, which is, is good. You know, is there a need there? Um, an, e- an economic impact, which goes back to the, the R, I think that Adam was talking about. Um, you know, authority access. So not that I'm on talking to someone who can sign it off, but can they give us access to the person uh, the person who can and the old joke used to be that whoever says they can sign it off it's it's normally not them it's their boss you know it's always it's always one level above is the old joke and then and <laughs> yeah. tea timing which is perennial you know like why would you do something now and that, that fits so well into um the podcast we've done before like jolt um you know the the idea of what why does no decision actually happen you know why is it in many cases we don't lose deals they just kind of drift off I was just about to bring the jolt in, actually, and, and kind of reference that podcast because the, the J in the jolt is judging indecision. So what you're basically doing is you're judging a prospect's ability to actually make a decision. So you could have the best solution that fits them. They've got a budget. They've got everything else. <clears throat> if they can't actually make a decision on that, it's proven now 46% of deals end in indecision. So you can qualify all you want. But those deals that were still 40 to 60% that weren't actually ending in a decision end in no decision. So there's your biggest thing that actually we need to advance qualification is to judge a level of indecision over and above band. Yeah, yeah. Just just as well, just talk about the mechanics of how uh, some CRM systems work with that. So it might be a human decision or there might be a questionnaire behind uh, this sales qualification about where exactly in, you know, if you think of that Chevron, of a, a kind of sales process where it should sit in a CRM system. But what the CRM systems do is they will take, you know, what the projected, uh, let's say, um, annual ARR is, uh, you know, the kind of revenue, the projected revenue that's going to come in from that. It, it will take that and it has percentages normally at different stages of the sales cycle. So, of course, the further is it, it's along towards, you know, uh, contract closing, it might give it seven, multiply that amount by 70%. Um, the further to the left it is, you know, where you're, you know, you're still at the early stages of the sales process, still doing, you know, where it's still mostly unqualified, and um, we'd give it a lower amount, let's say ten percent, and it multiplies that together, and and you can get this full amount, which says this is what our pipeline actually looks like, and that's how that calculation actually works. Well, I think we've done a pretty good job in the time we've got there of kind of, well, I hope we have, of explaining what qualification is. I'll probably move on a step now and say, well, why does it matter? And why does it matter to us in pre-sales, right? Because in theory, there's roles like SDRs, right? So someone visits the website and they, they go to a webinar and they say, I'm broadly interested in the solution that you guys do. That comes through as a, as a, as a lead. Salesperson will typically then qualify that lead normally. Um, why does it matter and how do we do that for us in pre-sales? When we pick up that opportunity, why does it matter for us that we actually understand qualification and what do we do about it? So I've felt the impact of of the answer to your question, Adam, quite quite significantly because it depends where the responsibility has historically laid and the confidence in pre-sales teams to push back where they may not agree with qualifying a deal in. Uh, sometimes it's out of their control, of course, but um, in the most part, going in for a deal and you know you've got a you, you've got a, a cost. It is going to cost you a certain amount to work that deal. And you can give a rough estimate of what that's going to be based on your experience of the activities that you're going to do and put forward the service you provide to the business. The problem is 
not necessarily as much when you whether or not you qualify in or not because if you qualify in it could be for very good reasons problem i think is that many people once it's qualified in they just assume it's in forever mm. and i think that considerable amounts of time is spent on deals which have now been found to have just cheated their way through qualifica- qualification and you're just spending money for no reason anymore and that's very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Now, just to make it very explicit, if you're in pre-sales or a technical selling role, you are part of the sales team, and it is it is you know it's incumbent on you to help salesperson understand you know where we are with qualification. I mean, we may talk now or in you know another time about what's the difference between qualification and and uh, discovery, and um, you know. So for you in pre-sales, you know, a discovery may not be exactly the same thing as qualification, but that doesn't, but, but the thing is you have unique access and unique conversations and unique perspective as well. You know, in a lot of cases, pre-sales people um, have got much higher tenure than the salesperson. I've got a much better idea of what does, what does it, you know, what does a sale actually look like? You know, does this look like something we've sold before? Does it look within the bands of something we can, you know, we can f- configure or build uh, profitably or was that word on the end, you know, so, but you are part of the sales team, so it is incumbent on you to help the salesperson understand how well qualified this is. But to go to Mark's point, you're absolutely right. Um, at every boundary, at every uh, kind of stage change in CRM, you're supposed to like you know uh, intensely scrutinise the qualification, requalify it, and re-ask yourself: Is it could we still win this deal? Is there still something there where we could win it? And and especially, let's say, if you're a company who do. Um, proof of concepts, proof of value, you know, that, that that is a very, very expensive thing to do, you know, uh, you know, not just building this, the systems for it, and, um, you know, but the effort that you're going to put in, you know, at stages that beforehand, you absolutely need to, uh, there's a term called propensity to win, is understand, it, you know, it, how much, you know, how, you know, what's the percentage that we could actually win this? Because it's not just the cost that's sunk into this deal. There's a thing called opportunity cost, which is if we do this, if we work with this deal, if we invest the time in this proof of concept, you know, proof of value, um, and we don't win it, you know, the opportunity cost is, well, what else you could you have been doing where you could have won it? And um, so you never just look at how much it costs, you know, customer acquisition costs. It's always constantly you should be looking at, is this the best use of my time to, you know, for, you know, a consistent goal for the whole company, which has got to be something about revenue one. Oh, well, I know you're going to pique Adam's interest with this, but just before I do, um, and let's let's not misunderstand. This is not an either or. You can you can spend more money buying deals that you win so you actually you spend all the money and you don't even make any money so if you're going to uh if you're going to spend that money it's really important to do it and sometimes if it's an unlikely win put that burden back on the customer and say the proof of concept you're going to pay for because we've told you it's a it's you're going to have to put a lot of a lot of effort into this we don't think you're going to, so they have to pay for it. I think one of the things I always learned when I was newer to sales, because I'm from a consultancy background, like a, a lot of pre-sales people will be. And, you know, one of the things that I always learned when I moved into sales was, and it was a, a really senior salesperson told me, said, Adam, the main thing is, if you're going to fail, fail fast. Get out of there, hunt the no, right? Fail fast. But if you're going to win, win well. And I think as a profession, what we need to understand right now, and this will date this podcast a little bit, is, you know, we're in a time where 
a lot of companies are having to prove ROI. So the, the the normal qualification can all be met, but actually does the decision to to make the investment, is it there when there are companies laying people off? There are companies that are facing some economic headwinds right now. And so our job is to continuously make sure that that customer's not wasting just our time, but their own time. Because sometimes to be the vendor that says, do you know what, I, I just think we're better pausing for six months, I can see everything why we're talking, but in reality, my gut, my experience tells me, I don't think I'm going to be able to delight you in the short term with whatever I show you. So let's park it. Some of the customers that I, the prospects I've historically done that with, have been some of the best customers we ever have because you've got that relationship where you can say no and they respect you because if you don't respect your own time, nobody else is going to, to, to do that for you. So, um, you know, so you've got to remember, salespeople always measure against a number. They're always going to want to hit that number. They are going to want to kiss a few frogs, right? And we're all part of the sales team. Everybody needs someone to ratify that decision. And sometimes just going to a sales and going, I don't think this is necessarily a good deal. And they might just go, yeah, do you know what? It isn't. I'm behind my number. I need to perform. I need to bring it in. All right, well, at least I know what I'm getting into. At least I know I'm getting into an underqualified deal. And where I've got maybe an increased workload of two deals on the go, I'm probably going to put more focus on the deal that we're likely to win. But that doesn't mean I totally neglect this one. It just becomes a more conscious decision of which deal that you really push. So we're not here saying that you should never support an unqualified deal. What we're saying is there should be an open communication around how are we going to play this? What priority do we give this? And where does it rank? And if another deal suddenly came in tomorrow that looks eminently more winnable, actually, should we focus on that one? And should this one be a conversation with the customer and just have that respect and have that open dialogue and that trust within within your sales team to have that kind of level of qualification? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to come on to that, but just before that, I was just going to... Um some of the old sales kind of trainers and the neighborhood people out there have these kind of phrases they'll throw around, you know, like little four-word four phrase things, just going on from what Adam was saying there. Um, and absolutely, one of them is, was it qualify out early, qualify out often? Was a classic mm. one. Um, there's a, a really old sales methodology that really is as old as me, I think called Sandler, uh, Sandler Selling System, I think it's called. And they get it down to, you know, selling is three things, qualify, qualify, qualify. Mm. which I just, it is it's just, that, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. But to go to Adam's point, um, this is, you've got to have empathy for, you're working as a sales team. You've got to have empathy for the, the salesperson and the position, you know, they're in, you know, it's a, it's a high rewards, high risk game in selling. Um, and, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe we don't take the same risks as them. Although, you know, at the moment, you know, the way the economy and jobs are going, you know that may not feel <laughs> may not feel like that's how that's happening, but you know, have some empathy for your sales colleagues, like you know where they are, and and as Adam said, have an open discussion. Never ever get into the situation where it's us or them. It's really unhealthy, and and you know, and any kind of internal conflict like that is really hurting the company. You know, and your ability to get to a number which is going to you know helps expansion, helps preserve jobs. You know, you know, the more you can work together and empathize for each other, the, the better for the health of the whole company. So I just thought one of the next steps we should probably cover is um, how do we actually help promote healthy qualification? So, you know, we've discussed things like requalifying often in the sales cycle, you know, at stages. I think that's just a timely, good practice reminder. 
I've seen people, just to throw in um, a couple of ideas, I've seen people where some salespeople, because they're, they're brilliant at doing this, will sit with the SDR team. So they'll go to the sales development team or whatever you call that in your in, in your organization. Typically, the person that turns a, someone who comes onto the website into a sales lead, the, that, the, that kind of, that, that exchange role, sits with them and explains, right, well, this is an outcome to a previous sale that you've passed across and this is maybe why we lost it or why we won it. And that kind of iterative loop of learning and getting qualification better almost real time has real massive impacts. Now, that's my two penneth on how we make qualification. But, but have you guys got anything that you've done, I mean, Don, from your training and your experience and, and Mark, you know, you're seeing a different kind of qualification where you're effectively selling to pre-sales people, right? So have you yes. got any... so there's, there's absolutely no pulling the woman over their eyes. They, they come <laughs> into this process already knowing what it's like to feel to be in this process. It's very meta, but great fun. Um, what I would say is that the... My opinion of the most forward-thinking way of qualifying is to shift the purpose of the sale from the win to the customer, the resultant customer success. Because what you therefore do is you, the, you, the sale of the software and or services is still incredibly wrapped up in that, is an essential part of making that change. However, it allows you to qualify with the buyers from the first moment. So you have your buying, your qualification criteria, and you work with those buyers to help them qualify in. So you say, we're obviously not going to work with you if we're not going to be able to provide what you need. And so you say, we, we can provide all of this stuff, but you need to prove that you're going to put in the skin in the game as well, because what we provide is effective change rather than just a piece of piece of software to stick on the shelf. And because that's the world of selling that we're in, where it moves past the sale date, past go live to ultimate success, qualification right at the start involves the buyers in every single moment. There's a wonderful um, kind of KPI measurement thing that's going around about, you know, how you what you're really looking for in our kind of business, which is it was it customer lifetime value over customer acquisition costs. And what's brilliant about that is it goes exactly to what Mark's just told you there, which is it's not about a sale event happening. It's about it's about the revenue stream, you know, the retention, the expansion um, and consumption, because that's a completely different game. That is about, you know, uh, trying to get someone to consume a product. You know, the our AWS kind of bizarre, um GCP colleagues will know all about that. O OCI as well in the Oracle world. But um you know, it, it's all about this this kind of lifetime revenue stream, and not about a thing called a sale. You know, so if you, you can kind of focus that the, it's it's about you know, can we actually uh, create the value in the out more the outcomes because it's a lot more than you know numeric value that you're actually creating for a company. That that's that's the real focus. Really much because a customer can accidentally cause a software sale to happen, but no business change at their organization at the same time, and that's. It feels good for the salesperson, but ultimately it just means your company is not worth being in the market. 
I was just going to say, this is getting slightly close to home, so I'm not going to mention any names, but there, there are, you know, we live in a world now where we have a pre-sales tech stack. There are, there are lots of stories out there at the moment of people who bought something off the pre-sales tech stack and they're just not using it. And of course, we all know yeah. what happened in a, whatever, a year's time is, you know, big time for renewal, just won't get renewed and that'll be the end of that and that that'll have turned out to have been an unprofitable customer because of the customer acquisition cost didn't cover you know the the, the kind of initial you know subscription Completely. and yeah you know well that's why grr so gross revenue retention and net revenue retention are these these are really being looked at even from the start of the sales cycle yeah. it's hard though isn't it because um We've got to remember we're we're part of the sales team, and so there's a revenue focus and there's a commercial aspect, and we're halfway trapped. I think some people between being part of that sales team and being the advisor yeah. to the customer and the trusted person in the room and all those connotations. And I think you've got to find a balance with pre-sales of doing enough qualification that you can delight your customer and therefore over the remaining, you know, set them up for success in the best possible way you can, but also be part of the sales team and acknowledge that this is a revenue. A revenue machine we're su- we're supporting as well. I think playing that the the one bit of tap because I think we're we're coming towards the end of the the time we've got on the podcast. And we could probably talk all day about this. So I'm going to kind of move on towards our takeaways here. So I don't know who we want to start first, um, but maybe Mark, come to you first. What's your kind of what's your what's your takeaway? I think out out of all of it, and we've come we've covered so much advice. I'm sorry for people using up their note notepads of notes, <laughs> and I'm sorry to Mark McKinley that doesn't have a notepad because he's outside walking around, um, listening to the podcast with his headphones on. Um, so, I think my my bit of advice would be can always be qualifying. Don't just because someone else has qualified it in, your time is valuable. Your effect. Is valuable and if you always work deals that someone else has qualified in and for some reason is never working and you knew that because you you did more discovery you had more conversations with the customer always be qualifying um all the way through and don't be an also ran yeah <laughs> so um yeah done here so i'm going to be slightly controversial in the just the next 30 seconds and say just remember just remember Qualification is not the same thing as discovery, and, and especially demo discovery. They are not the same thing. There is a slight bit of overlap. It's a nice little Venn diagram because if you think about um, a salesperson or a BDR, they've got there's a need. They try and find out what the need is, and and maybe the authority. So you know, for your discovery purposes, you need to kind of find you know what's the personal value proposition from multiple people. But it is it's, you know qualification was never meant to be enough for you to be able to kind of do a you know, fully blown demo. It, it's not the same thing. So, do, so I even tell people, don't use the same term. Don't kind of, don't let salespeople call it discovery. It's not, it's qualification. And that's healthy and that's good. And, it, and it's not an us and them. Things that I did wrong early doors is going to be my takeaway here. So, you know, not actually going down the B, the A, the N, the T, or the M, E, D, D, I, C, in order, like it's some kind of formulaic script, right? Yes, have yourself a set of questions, but try and give something back to the customer in, in doing that. If you're going to talk to a prospect, try and enrich their day. It's not a one-way conversation, right? So try and help them understand maybe where you've got issues or you don't understand. So you know, actually, why does there need to be a sign-off process? Why do we need to understand that? And how can we help them navigate the politics? Because they probably want your software in the business, but actually, how can you bring your experience and help them understand and go, okay, well, before we maybe get into a sales process, I'm going to help you do some stakeholder mapping here. We're going to figure out 
how we get this signed off and let's and advise and, and help because you sell software all the time. You run sales process all the time. Buyers don't buy all the time. So use qualification as your first opportunity to build trust, rapport, and a positive outcome. That would be my one massive takeaway and, and just a very small takeaway. Go and spend some time with the SDR team. You know, go and sit with them, go and listen to some calls, go and help them if you've got capacity to do that, but really become a team, become one with your, your sales counterparts, with your SDRs and you as a pre-sales person and, and, and work to try and create the outcomes that you want, which is qualified leads and respect your own time. And just like last bit, um, yeah, qualification is not the same as interrogation. <laughs> Lamps. Don't mistake the two because a lot yeah. of people do. Bright lamps are optional as part of qualification. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely right. So with that, we're going to sign off. We're going to we've got some really cool episodes coming over the next few weeks. Again, if you want to be part of a show, reach out to any of us on the podcast. Come on, we've got a lot of people reached out. Um, but if you want and you're passionate about talking about something and it gives back to the community, as always, give us a shout. Let's get on the show and wishing everyone a really good 2023. So all the best and I'll speak to you next soon. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. We'd love to hear from you on LinkedIn.